0: Welcome to the Brighton Adventure Story Podcast. Chapter 18 Test Flight Like Jenny, James also woke up early on Friday morning, but not because he was going for an early walk. He had already scheduled his 30 minutes of exercise time to rendezvous with Jenny at the Sentinel over lunch, and there was no way he was going to be late home again, well, not for a week or two at least. He was up early in order to work on drop-lifter irritation. The thorn in his own bike tyre had given him two ideas. The first was linked to an old project he'd worked on at the Maker Club. He had joined the Maker Club when he started secondary school. Every week the club introduced him to different tools and equipment for projects. And it gave him access to the Brighton Maker Club in town. He had played with gears, circuit boards, pneumatics, vacuums, solar power, programming raspberry Pis, and more. And his first solo project had been a remote launcher for a bottle rocket. Bottle rockets relied on high-pressure air and water as their engines and fuel. Pump a part-filled plastic water bottle with air, and then that air would force the water out of the bottle, propelling the whole thing upwards just like Newton's third law of physics said it would. For James's solo project, he'd borrowed a special servo from the Brighton Maker Club in order to use a Bluetooth connection to activate the launch. He didn't have that servo anymore, so he would just have to opt for a manual launch method. First, he found an old 2-litre plastic bottle from the recycling box. Next, he went to the bike shed and found an old, punctured inner tube. The last thing he needed was a rubber stopper or a cork. That was the hardest thing to find. In the end, he had to make do with a rubber end plug from his handlebar grips. It wasn't perfect, but then, he didn't want it to be. His other idea was for a spike strip, like the kind that the police would put down on a road to stop the bad guy's car in films. It was hard to find the parts for it, but in the end, he came up with something that would probably work. It would have been better if he'd had a few weeks to design, build and tweak his creations. But he only had a few hours to get ready. It would have to do. The spike strip wouldn't be used until Saturday. He couldn't think of a way of getting it into the road without the droplifters spotting it, which meant he couldn't use it from his house today. So he concentrated on the bottle rocket. He wrapped the plastic bottle in brown paper, wrote an address on it, and made sure the neck of the bottle was just sticking out of the bottom without being too obvious. Then, after breakfast, he sat outside on his front garden wall and waited for a van to pass. And waited. And waited. One of the problems with the plan was that it relied on the droplifters coming to him. He'd been sitting on his wall for nearly an hour before he even saw a single car. Then, Just before he was going to have to go in for lunch and then get ready to go to Preston Park, a van drove past. It was dark blue and didn't stop. But that didn't stop James. He hopped off the wall and got to work. The bike pump was already connected to the valve he'd cut from the inner tube. The valve was pushed through and glued into a hole he'd made in the rubber end plug. The end plug was tightly wedged into the neck of the bottle and the bottle was filled with a mixture of water and blue food dye. He worked the pump fast, keeping a careful eye on the pressure. He had done some tests and knew that if he went over 30 psi, the end plug would fly out and the rocket would launch immediately. He got it to 29 psi and stopped, disconnected the pump and put the fake package rocket prominently in place on the top step. Then he squeezed behind the bike shed and waited. And waited, and waited. Nothing happened. No drop-lifters were following the blue van. And now it was definitely time to have lunch and go and meet Jenny. Which was probably why, at that moment, his dad opened the front door and called his name. James, are you out here? he said. Time for lunch. Oh, what's this? His dad bent down and picked up the brown paper-wrapped bottle rocket. Leave it! James shouted. Jumping out from behind the bike shed, put it down! He made a lunge for the bottle rocket, but it was too late. The end plug, not quite fitting perfectly in the neck of the bottle, was forced out by the £29 per square inch of pressure that James had pumped into the bottle, plus the little extra pressure exerted by his dad's hands. With the end plug out of the way, the high air pressure proceeded to force the blue coloured liquid out through the open bottle. This as accurately predicted by Newton's third law of physics, pushed the bottle the opposite way, which was up and out of James's dad's hands and into the air above them, all the time spraying the blue-dyed water down onto James and his dad. It was perfect, exactly as James had planned it. A slight jostle from being picked up was enough to set the rocket off, only it was worse than he imagined too, so much worse now that it was his dad and him that were covered in the watery blue dye and not an unsuspecting droplifter. Both of them watched the rocket silently. Having expelled all of its watery fuel, it kept ascending for a moment as per Newton's first law. Then gravity along with Newton's second law kicked in, pulling the plastic bottle back to the ground. James caught it deftly with one hand. His dad just stared at the bottle, blue water dripping from his eyebrows into a murky blue puddle on the tiled path. Sorry, James said. That wasn't quite what I wanted to happen. Twenty minutes later, after a lot more apologies and attempted explanations, James was cycling fast towards Preston Park. If his mum hadn't come out and burst out laughing as soon as she'd seen them, he would have been grounded for sure. She called his dad Papa Smurf and found them dark-coloured towels to dry off with. Even his dad laughed about it when they sat down to eat. The food dye was persistent, though, and James could definitely still detect a blue tinge to the backs of his hands as he cycled. Jenny, Frank and Arlo were all sitting on the grass across the path from the old elm. Jenny's bike was in between them. All three had homemade face masks on. Frank and Arlo's looked a lot more homemade than Jenny's did, though. Frank's looked distinctly like two elastic bands and an old sock. James dumped his bike next to Jenny's and stretched out on the grass. Sorry I'm late, he said. What happened to your ears? Frank asked. Are you cold? They're grey, Jenny said, squinting at him in the sunshine. Or blue, and so's your face. I had an accident with a booby-trapped parcel, he said, slightly abashed. A test flight, really. More of a self-test to make sure it worked. Did you get a drop-lifter with it? Arlo asked. No, just me, James said. Well, and my dad. But at least I know that the package works, he added quickly. He reached into his bag and pulled out a wooden box. He handed it to Jenny and hoped it would act as a distraction from his blue state. Thanks, she said. I found a triple M marker on the back wall of the Quaker meeting house. I'm going to see where it leads. James wished he could go with her. But he only had ten minutes left before he needed to get home. Be careful, he said, and don't take Teddy with you. How's everything been here? Boring, Arlo said. He and Frank were brothers, and Arlo was still in the infant school. They'd both helped out before on a couple of the Green Hands Gang's previous adventures. What he means is, it's not as fun here as throwing water bombs at the drop lifters, Frank said. Did you hit any? James asked hopefully. Two, Arlo said. One of them nearly fell off their bike. Two droplifters and one postman, Frank said. Arlo hit him right in the face. He had a bag, Arlo said, with packages in it. That's his actual job, Frank said, but he didn't mind, said it would cool him off on such a hot day. It was good news, about getting the droplifters, not the postman. James hadn't had time to check the chat server before coming out. He wondered if anyone else had had better luck than him. ''We brought some water bombs with us,'' Frank said, patting his rucksack, ''just in case.'' ''The long man's been spotted,'' Jenny said, ''over at the rockery. He was there early this morning. Then Oliver saw him again when he was on elm lookout duty. Both times it looked like he was fishing.'' ''But no attacks on the elm itself?'' James asked. They all shook their heads. ''Has Hegel made an appearance?'' ''Not so far,'' Jenny said. ''Is he a weasel?'' Arlo asked. ''No,'' James said. ''He's a hedgehog. Why?'' Because I saw three weasel things through there when we got here. Arlo pointed at the gate to the walled garden. Polecats, Jenny said. Come to try and get back into the sentinel, I bet. If Hegel's doing his job, the sentinel will be safe. And so will the stone of Brighthelm, James said. He thought about what the postman had said after getting hit by a water bomb. And then he thought about the stone. It was strapped to the back of a giant fish, a carp named Enry. James knew this because years ago he'd had to lure the fish and get the stone himself. The stone was in a leather case and needed to be kept underwater. It had a strange power to conjure up a storm if it was left out in the open air. "'The weather,' James said. "'I know no one's talking about it because of the virus stuff, "'but can anyone remember the last time it rained?' They all shook their heads. "'My mum keeps going on about it needing to rain,' Frank said, "'to water the herbs in the garden.' I hate rosemary, Arlo added. Me too, James said. But it hasn't just been unbelievably warm and sunny. It's been totally calm too. There's hardly been any wind at all. Jenny looked at him. You think it's something to do with the Stone of Breithelm, she said. Well, it could be, he said. Remember when we first got the stone out and ran across the park? It almost lifted you off your feet. She nodded. And it even worked in the Wellsbourne Caverns. I wonder if something's already happened to the stone. James felt that it was too much of a coincidence. The powerful stone that brought winds and storms, and the amazing weather that had been going on all through lockdown. But he had no way of proving it. I've got to go, he said. I can't be late again. Mum would kill me. He left Jenny, Frank and Arlo on the grass and picked his bike up. The park was getting busier. More and more people were using it as the lockdown rules changed. He picked his way between nicely distanced picnickers and up to the clock tower. He hadn't had time to make a proper rat-relief parcel, but he had at least managed to sneak some of yesterday's cooked chicken out of the fridge. It wasn't much, but Zen and Bobby looked happy enough when he gave it to them. Pedalling hard up the hill, he made it back home sweaty, but with a whole minute to spare. The rest of his afternoon was spent sitting on his front wall, looking out for delivery vans. Only two went past, and not a single drop lifter followed them. James was hot, bothered, and a little bit discouraged when he finally went inside. He hoped that the other children had had more success. Maybe Frank and Arlo had managed to soak a few more droplifters. He checked the chat server, feeling hopeful. And, as it turned out, he was not disappointed.